Future Pulse, Patients First, investigating innovative cardiovascular research with a patient-oriented clinical outcome focus. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, clinical and interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Hi, I'm Dr. Cabrina Bartley, clinical research coordinator at CFC. Today, we'll be talking about statin-induced myopathy. Introduce yourself, Dr. Nero. Hi, I'm Tom Nero. I'm uh, the director of clinical research at Cardiology Associates of Fairfield County. I'm also an interventional cardiologist as well as a clinical cardiologist, and I have some special training in uh, sports medicine as well. So it's one of my uh, specialties and a little bit of a passion. So first. Before even getting into statin-induced myopathy, first, I just want to have a general overview of cholesterol. Can you tell me why is cholesterol important? Cholesterol is one of the main risk factors that we understand for coronary artery disease. And when we talk about risk factors, we sort of all have heard about the Framingham risk factors, which include family history, smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, but also cholesterol. And cholesterol ends up being probably the most important single factor that we're able to manipulate to improve our outcomes. Uh, cholesterol is made by the person in their liver. It is also something that will increase depending on diet. So there's a lot of different ways that we can affect cholesterol and to order to improve our cardiovascular outcomes. What are some factors that contribute to high cholesterol levels? Well, the first one is family history. You know, certainly we know that families will have higher cholesterols or some families will have higher cholesterols than other families. And that's something that you can't necessarily change, but we still need to work on the, the numbers. The second one is diet. We know that high carbohydrates in your diet, as well as high fat content in your diet, will increase your cholesterol. And it's going to be important over time to try to improve those things. And then finally, exercise. Regular daily exercise will help to lower your LDL cholesterol and also helps to improve your HDL or good cholesterol so that you have a better ratio between the good and the bad cholesterols. As we all know, there are like different types of cholesterol. Is there one in particular that we should focus more on when treating? So the bad cholesterol is ALDL cholesterol. And when we look at cholesterol in general, we talk about total cholesterol. Total cholesterol is made up of LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, as well as triglycerides and some other factors as well. And the reason why we measure total cholesterol is because in the past, that was easy to measure. But now we can measure these things separately and we get more information. Beyond LDL cholesterol, there's actually another better way of looking at it, looking at something called non-HDL cholesterol. And not to get into the weeds too much here, but non-HDL cholesterol includes LDL and the triglycerides and these other things. There's another test that's coming down the pike called apolipoprotein B which is all the bad kinds of cholesterol together. And so in the future, we may just be talking about ApoB levels instead of cholesterol levels or as a surrogate for cholesterol levels. And then finally, there's some other things as well. But for simplicity's sake today, LDL cholesterol, which we will refer to as the bad cholesterol, is probably the most important thing individually that we're looking at. There's also good cholesterol called HDL cholesterol. And the HDL cholesterol the higher that it is, the better people do. So when you talk about total cholesterol, it can be a combination of a very high good cholesterol and a very low bad cholesterol and still have a high total cholesterol, which is misleading. But sometimes it's a high bad cholesterol and a low good cholesterol, in which case it's even worse, regardless of what the total cholesterol number is. 
I hope that wasn't too confusing. So what do you tell a patient, for example, they come in and they say, Doc, I know I have high cholesterol. My LDL is high. What am I supposed to do about that? Why should I care? Well, A, you should care because I want you to live longer. That's the first reason. And I think your families want you to live longer. The second thing you'll need to do is we all need to start working on diets and exercise. And we referred to this a little bit earlier, how important it is to be on a low processed carbohydrate diet. So eliminating flour and sugar mostly, but also eliminating fats from your diet because they're also associated with heart disease. And then finally, regular daily exercise. So those are really the three parts of the non-pharmacologic treatment. After that, then we're going to start talking about medicines. You know, nobody wants to take medicines. I understand that. But medicines and a lot of these interventions is enabling us to live longer and live better. And so we really need to try to avoid some of the bad outcomes. And we'll do that by, by taking the medicines. The main medicine that we have for cholesterol are statins. And the statin medications have gotten a pretty bad rap over the ages. But they're really good. We have excellent data on them. And that data really is impressive in how much we have improved people's outcomes from being on these medications. But unfortunately, a lot of people are afraid of them because they've heard bad things, that they cause liver failure, that they cause diabetes, that they cause all these side effects, and that they don't want to take them. And I understand the desire to be on as little or low, as low amount of medication as possible, but you need to be on the minimum amount of medication that gives you the maximum benefit. And so sometimes that's going to be the highest amount of statin that you can tolerate, and sometimes that can be a, a lower amount just to try to get you to the appropriate cholesterol goal. How do you approach a patient when they are more concerned about the side effects of the statin as opposed to how effective it is in lowering their cholesterol level? For example, if a patient comes in and they may say, doctor, I understand that statin is very effective in lowering my cholesterol, but I was told it causes muscle problems. The first thing is to try to have a conversation so that I can understand why they're feeling this apprehension. And it's normal to be worried, especially because these medications will often be medications that we're going to use for a very long time. The data on statins, in general, we have never really seen that these muscle pains and other problems occur more than in the general population. And there's been a couple of studies that sort of showed the same thing. I'm not saying that people are making up their symptoms. They're not. They don't want to have these symptoms. I don't blame them for worrying about it or complaining of it. But you have to remind them that it is just as likely for someone off of statins to have muscle aches as someone on statins. So usually what I'll do is I'll give them a trial off the medication to see if they feel better. And then back on the medication, if the symptoms do return, then we'll talk about switching over to another kind of statin because there's multiple different medications and people will certainly have different symptoms or no symptoms with another statin. We can try coenzyme Q. I'm not a huge fan of coenzyme Q, but that being said, if it works for you, then it allows you to get on a statin. Great. We can try lowering the amount of medication because sometimes lower medications will make things better. And then sometimes we'll try non-statin therapies. And there are a couple of new medications that are out, including the PCSK9 inhibitors, also azetamide and bimpidoic acid, all have been shown to improve outcomes and so may be useful for this in the future. Very rarely are they long-term problems. Uh, there is one specific uh, entity where you can cause autoantibodies to part of the muscle 
that will be long lasting. That being said, that's extremely rare. I've never seen it in my practice, but it is reported in the literature. So it's something that sometimes we'll look for. But 99.99% of the time, if people have symptoms and the symptoms are truly due to the statins, which is rare, less than 5% of patients will actually have symptoms from the medication. In those circumstances, it will get better when you stop the medication. What do you do in the event when patients are actually having the muscle pain? How would you evaluate that? If the symptoms are really bad, you can do a blood test called a CPK, which is creatinine phosphokinase, which will look to see whether there's actual muscle damage. Usually, though, I don't even go that far. I'll just stop the medication. Experiencing muscle pain while taking SEN, would that be, is that sufficient for the patient to stop taking the medication if it's like mild symptoms? Mild symptoms will usually allow them to see whether they can get through it. I try to remind people that they probably had some muscle symptoms before they started on the statins. You know, I'm in my mid-50s now. I wake up in the morning and sometimes I have muscle aches. I'm not on any statins. So I have to remind myself that this can be normal too. And then if it's mild, we'll see whether they can live through it. Because, you know, in reality, this is something that it really is important for their cardiovascular outcomes for them to continue on the medication. But over time, if the symptoms become more severe, then we'll stop it, give them a chance off of it, and then we'll try that idea of switching to different medications. I want to backtrack a little bit. I know previously you mentioned that diet and exercise are really important in lowering your cholesterol level. But in the instance like someone have a really high LDL level and they did try diet and exercise, your next step would be to, for them to start taking statin, but they're still hesitant and they want to go back to trying diet and exercise. What do you do for those patients, especially when they have high risk of heart disease? How do you approach those patients? Exercise and diet only get you so far. I would say that probably less than 1% of my patients have truly been able to improve so much so that they were able to stop the statins. But ultimately, if we can't get where we need to go, then it is going to be about drugs and moving over to other drugs. Again, to backtrack, there's always room to improve your diet and exercise. You know, I believe in a vegan diet. I think that a plant-based diet is a better cardiovascular diet than just a regular Mediterranean diet. And if you really look at the Mediterranean diet, it's really a vegetable or plant-based, mostly vegetable diet with low processed foods and low processed carbohydrates and very little meat or fish in there. So trying to improve your diet where you can, you need to try to do it. The second piece is to see whether they actually are doing the kind of exercise that they should be doing. Now, there is a thing where you can have too much exercise, I believe, in some circumstances. But the average person, as long as they're enjoying what they're doing and they're exercising about 150 minutes a week, is probably getting the amount of exercise that they need. The next thing is to do something called lipid subfractionations. These are more blood tests that we do in order to try to see whether there are specific pieces of the cholesterol pathways that we need to worry about. Because if this is a genetic problem, we need to know because that will then push us more into treating with medications because we know that because this is genetic, your, do, your body is doing this, that there's very little room that we can do with lifestyle changes. And then finally, if we're 
still uncertain about the benefit of what we're giving, we can talk about doing testing on the arteries themselves, something called coronary calcification or coronary calcium scoring, or something else called CT coronary angiography, which is another kind of CAT scan that looks to see the plaques individually within the artery. And that will help to determine whether someone already has heart disease, already has plaque, and whether then we're going to need to be more aggressive. Or on the flip side, if they have no plaque and no calcification, maybe we don't need to be as aggressive. Hopefully that will allow us to reestablish what their cardiovascular risk is. In the event that patient, for example, they are taking the statin and their cholesterol level is still elevated, what do you do in those circumstances? Do we then consider alternative or do you increase the statins? So usually people want to be on one medication and not two. So I will often give them an opportunity to increase the statin initially if they're able to tolerate it. Unfortunately, increasing the medication, doubling it, only decreases the cholesterol by another 5 and at maximum 10% versus your initial therapy. So it is one of these laws of diminishing returns. After that, there's a medication called azetamide that will help to decrease your total cholesterol level. And if patients are not at an exceedingly high risk, then I may just add on azetamide uh, because that will get you, usually get you to goal. If they're at higher risk, though, we will often consider using some of the new medications called PCSK9 inhibitors. They've been shown to be extremely effective. They have very low side effect profiles, and they dramatically improve not just the uh, cholesterol levels, but cardiovascular outcomes. The problem with PCSK9 inhibitors is that they're really expensive. So if we're going to decide to use them, we better have a pretty good reason because I don't want to spend $6,000 of your money or $6,000 of the insurance company's money or the government's money in order to lower the cholesterol if it's not necessary. So there's a lot of different options that we have to help improve these. In addition to all of those things, there's other medications as well that sometimes we'll use, fibrates and vesipa, which is a very special kind of fish oil, and bimpidoic acid. So there's a number of other things that we that we have in our pharmacopoeia to try. But you know, I would like to try to keep it simple if we can. Dr. Nero, are you saying that even though statin have the side effects of causing muscle pain, that is still considered to be the most effective in lowering your cholesterol? Well, for right now it is. We have 30 million patient years or more of experience with statins. And when you look at the outcome trials that we have, uh, they have universally demonstrated benefit or a tend towards benefit in almost all the populations that we've studied. So it really is our first and primary therapy. In the future, you know, if you had to ask me what I think is going to happen, I think that we're going to have other medications that are going to be even better. And then maybe we'll use PCSK9 inhibitors or some of these injectable drugs as our first line therapy. And I do think that there are going to be other pill forms that are going to be available in the future that may be more effective. But, you know, right now you always get the suit fitted to how you are right now. You don't get it tailored to what you think it's going to be in the future. And in the same way, I don't like to make the prediction that I'm going to be using these medications uh, in the future or for the future when I don't know what that future really holds. Thank you. So Dr. Nira, any final words that you want to share with your audience regarding the benefits of statin despite the side effect? Well, 
First off is that I do believe that the side effects are exceedingly rare and that the majority of people, when they have side effects, the side effects are the same as placebo. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's important to give them a try. Uh, Don't sort of poo-poo the medication early. Uh, The second is always, always try non-pharmacologic therapies as much as we can. Diet and exercise are hugely important. And if we could get everybody in the United States to just be on a good heart healthy diet and exercise, we could save the country a few hundred billion dollars a year in healthcare without spending a penny. So those are two really super important things. And then finally, you know, work with your doctor, give it a chance. There's further testing that we can do in order to try to reevaluate what your risks are. And uh, then we'll see and we'll go forward. But this is certainly something that we shouldn't just stick our head in the sand and, and not worry about. Thank you, Dr. Nira, for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. Bye-bye.